This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We've been speaking about feelings of increased anxiety during the pandemic. Well, imagine going through a serious and unrelated illness in the midst of all of this. The process is incredibly stressful for cancer patients who have to face delayed or changed treatment plans. And even when they receive their chemotherapy or other medications, well, it has to be a constant worry because the drugs compromise their already weakened immune system. And of course, that would make them more susceptible to COVID-19. If you or a loved one or a friend is going through cancer at this time, or if you have thoughts on that, uh, the number is 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Dr. Sandy Sedev, a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital Cancer Centre and the affiliated Ivan Greenberg Family Cancer Centre at Queensway Carleton Hospital. Hi, Dr. Sadev. How are you doing? Good day. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. So uh, you are... How is it like to to practice during COVID-19 and, and um, what has changed? I think it's truly a unique situation. I mean, we are used to dealing with crises and uncertainty and, you know, and, and cancer care. But this has been really revolutionizing how we approach every patient encounter. It's uh, something of an unknown role for most of us. I think the only patients I have that can make analogies are those that have either been through a World War II or through the Great Depression, you know, where they remember this kind of upheaval. But it's, uh, we're all learning on the fly. Okay, well, take me through uh, what you might normally do when you see a patient and, and how it is now. I mean, uh, do you see you see patients in a clinic or otherwise? Yes, uh, we almost have to review our caseload you know, day by day and try to pre-plan which patients need to come in. Like some patients, we have to do a physical examination to assess them. But more and more, the vast majority of our patients were... Um, we're, we're seeing them or talking to them now by telephone, by telemedicine, by secure um, Ontario telemedicine network links to their home iPhone, iPad, or laptop, so we can communicate that way. Uh, acknowledging some of the you know the um, um, imperfections of uh, electronic communication, but patients really have appreciated that option uh, to avoid coming in in person. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at a presentation around Christmas time and. Uh, it was by uh, a young oncologist from Princess Margaret who had kind of drawn up tentative plans for a lot of virtual medicine in cancer treatment because the truth is that, you know, it, either you're coming from a long way off or, you know, your body is kind of worn down and, and uh, it can be a relief uh, even at the best of times not to have to drag yourself into the hospital. Well, indeed. In fact, right now we're having ongoing discussions across the country about how this new norm may change things, even if we do get through this completely and have a vaccine or a cure 
you know, this may be a new way of doing things in the future for a lot of our patients. We've been doing telemedicine for satellite clinics for patients driving more than an hour and a half to come in for several years, you know, quite successfully, and it's been a very common strategy in the Maritimes and um, Western and Northern parts of Canada. But I think truly the patients do appreciate it. Um, there are some that we do have to physically examine and have, you know, personal discussions with, but many of our visits probably this may be a new way of doing things. Uh, yeah. Um, let me give the numbers out again, and then I want to get into, you know, chemotherapy. Obviously, if they're getting intravenous chemotherapy, they've, they've got to be there. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm talking, talking to Dr. Sandy Sedev. He's a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital Cancer Center and uh, also at Queensway Carleton uh, in Ottawa. And we're talking about cancer treatment during COVID-19. I have to say that I have a close friend who was at the end of her treatment. And uh, at first, I mean, I had to kind of frankly convince her that this was serious business because she was traveling during her treatment beforehand. She uh, has breast cancer. And, uh, you know, even though she's, I mean, she's, you know, somebody who's fit, it was different. So first of all, so she had to go in for her last couple of chemos, but but also normally people bring somebody with them. You couldn't bring somebody anymore, and that kind of ups the whole anxiety, you know, the anxiety part of it, Dr. Sedev. It sure does, and we have an increasing number of patients now that are either elderly or have English as a second language or may have hearing impairment, you know, so it's, it's really helpful. We encourage everyone of every age to always bring a buddy or a relative when they come to see us to take all the information in. We've been making do with, um, you know, keeping people on speakerphone or including their relatives or friends uh, during our discussions in clinic and certainly trying our best. And if we have patients that are very sick where we really need to have that relative there, uh, there have been case-by-case exceptions just to help them, you know, with, with communications. But emotionally, it's a big deal. They need to hold someone's hand sometimes, and it can be a big challenge. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, interesting, you're, you're including family members, you know, when you're having a consultation, uh, that might be a very difficult one. Uh, you know, I'm even talking about for chemo, you know, you don't usually, well, I'm remembering mine, you don't necessarily see the doctor during chemo, but usually you, you bring somebody with you, uh, you know, just to pass away the time and take your mind off what's going through your veins. And yeah, and in fact, we do. they do actually see us or encounter us by telemedicine before most chemo, so we can just see how they're doing. Um, and that, you know, that face-to-face contact is important. I must say, you know, that the oncology patients have been tremendously understanding. They've been very appreciative of the accommodations going on. The families have been lovely. So what would be a very stressful time, I think, has been mitigated just by the you know, the compassion of the staff, the extra work done. If I get off the phone with a patient for a complicated discussion, usually the chemotherapy or medical oncology nurse will then do a follow-up consult by phone or one before my visit to lay the groundwork and reinforce details. So we really, I think we've done a great job in helping to make up for the gaps. How do you handle, because again, I remember, uh, you know, you, you used to have to uh, get your blood drawn before to see if you're doing well enough to get your chemo treatment, that you, that your your white blood cells aren't going nuts. Uh, how do you handle that? Yeah, we still do that. Um, 
I mean, many of the cancer centers are sort of affiliated or attached to hospitals, but they have their own labs. And I must say, you know, the cleanliness and the care and caution um, for all of our facilities, our chemo chairs, our labs have been so exceptional. Uh, I've not had a patient personally put in danger or gotten sick with uh, COVID because of that. Um, it's always a risk-benefit if we think the risk of coming in for blood tests and seeing us is very high and the benefit of their chemo might be small. There are some patients where we might change our mind or modify the treatment depending on you know what is overall best for that patient. But most often they do have blood tests done. They can do them at their own private laboratory near their home uh, where now they make appointments and patients go in like one at a time for their blood work. So there have been uh, amazing adaptations done on the fly. Okay, let's take a call from Valerie in Toronto. Hello, Valerie. Hi there. Hi. I I wanted to let you know that in the last couple of weeks, I've had virtual consultations with two oncologists through PMH, and it was wonderful. Instead of spending two to three hours with long, long waits in the clinic, I had a six-minute conversation each time. I asked questions. Questions were asked of me. Resolution was made. It was fabulous. I would love to see that going forward. It obviously can't work for everything. If you really do need to put um, hands on a patient for an examination, that, that's reasonable. But just to give results is wonderful. Yeah, you know, I, I, I remember sometimes even waiting longer than that. And, and uh, then the doctor comes through the door, looks at you and says, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, honestly, six, maybe six minutes with a conversation for a three-hour wait. It's crazy. And it's got to be better for the hospital as well. Well, yeah, but here's, I know, call me like a, a little twisted. Here's one thing that, that I thought of. Um, and actually, uh, you know, when I do a follow-up, sometimes I, I just get it uh, in an email. thought, oh, my goodness, you know, if I'm ever asked to come in, then obviously that's going to be really, really bad news. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I have uh, access to all my uh, reports and results mm-hmm. through the portal, and it's wonderful as well, so that if you're getting bad news, you're, you can get yourself psyched up for it, and if it's good news, you can relax. Oh, okay. So you, you, you give yourself the news before you talk to the doctor. Yes. And then the conversation is a follow-up with, maybe I have a question about a specific aspect of the report. Maybe he has a question about how I'm feeling, or she has a question. Um, And it's all resolved so efficiently. It's wonderful. Okay, Valerie. Well, um, I'm glad to hear that. How How are you doing otherwise? I'm wonderful. I've gone from stage four to no evidence of disease. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Indeed. Thank you. Thank I'm you. very pleased, I promise. <laughs> um, you sound pleased, and that's good. Thanks for your Thank call. You. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yeah, well, uh, that's, that's, that's one, uh, you know, one person who really enjoys that. I don't know about uh, patients getting their results before the doctor talks to them. You have to uh, have a certain level of, of understanding when you, when you look at all those numbers for all the various whatevers. That's, that's the new normal. We have these electronic systems now where patients have access to their own file. And I think it's great. You know, there are some times when the medical lingo can be a bit jarring and there can be a serious misunderstanding with one word that they may perceive as bad news that isn't. And you know how anxious patients can be around cancer. So it does cause sometimes some stresses, but by and large, it's actually much better. And I actually tell patients, please go on my chart and read my note after, because then you'll be able to understand and recap what we spoke about on the phone 
And I try to word my wording in an understandable way so they can help, you know, reinforce the messages and uh, understand their disease better. So mostly it's been very helpful. And does that change things? Because I know there's always an issue with communication when it comes to cancer. And so first of all, at the beginning anyway, you know, as soon as you say cancer, people may not hear anything after that. And there's also an issue with how doctors communicate, especially bad news. And some of them are not that good at it. Does does this help or does this get you off the hook or what? Um, it, it does help. I think it depends on the patient. We do have a, often a relationship with them to know their individual needs and preferences. There's something about eye contact. And in the old days, even holding someone's arm or their hand, you know, to reassure them that we're missing now. I do prefer the telemedicine because we can sort of make eye contact and they can see the reassurance or comfort in our face. So, you know, there's different ways to do things. The telephone, I think, is a bit more challenging. Um, we've actually had recent uh, publications and uh, even podcasts by one of my colleagues about this new reality and how do you break bad news over the phone? Because we've all had some training at that, but the phone is a different, is a different is a situation. So I think we are we are kind of adapting again very quickly, but uh, it's, it is posing new challenges. I do like to see people face to face. I can see are they understanding me well. So I really like the uh, the telemedicine links. They're pretty easy to use. I think we've kind of jumped the shark a bit now. We're over that hurdle where most of our, even our senior citizen patients are pretty adept at hitting a link on an iPad or launching a site without a lot of complicated software. Uh, they're all used to chatting with grandkids, you know, on, on FaceTime and such. So we've, we've gotten to that point of technology penetration where now it's quite doable. Now we have another caller, Marie in Richmond Hill. Hello, Marie. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Tell me your story. Okay. I've had radiation and chemo and all that. And now I'm going to be going through my second stage of getting a needle for my bone and that and a CT scan. They say that there's possibly something below my rib cage that they're not certain about, so they're probably doing more tests. But overall, I feel pretty good. It's just sometimes I worry about how far it will go. So, Well, of course. Uh, sorry about your diagnosis. I'm glad to hear that, that you seem to be doing very well. Um, has, it, has your treatment changed because of the pandemic? Uh, no, everything has been finished, like with my chemo and radiation. Now I'm just waiting for a bone bone scan, I guess it is, and the needle for the um, to make my bones stronger. I guess what you call. I'm not sure what it's called. Uh huh. And have those things been postponed, or do you have a date? I have a date. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, that's good to hear. Marie, take care, and all the very best to you. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go to Barbara in Toronto. Hi, Barbara. Hello. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Thank you. And thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. And thank you to the doctor. These are very important times and, and very important issues coming up. My question, and I'm calling on behalf of some of my female friends and myself, and I think you may have even mentioned this a while back, uh, Libby, that we had mammograms and breast ultrasounds 
scheduled, and they were postponed, and we actually postponed some of the appointments because of the virus situation. And we're wondering if it's really critical for us to be going now or whether it would be okay to wait a couple more months just because we're afraid to go in because of the virus situation. Before I let the doctor answer that, are, 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 are your providers actually uh, offering the tests to you now? Because uh, mine, I'm canceled and they'll let me know. Yes, well, same with me and mine, um, but I have a, another friend, and the um, provider and the lab apparently is open, but for most of us, it isn't the case. Okay, Dr. Sadev, um, do you want to answer Barbara? Yeah, I think, you know, there are, there are patients where we have a concern, like a lump or a pain or a symptom, well, where I can we hardly have to do hear a scan to evaluate that, and those are being done. Uh, if someone's getting screening, like a healthy person never had cancer, gets mammograms every year or two, those are part of an ongoing program. It's the program and the change year to year, which is the clue, not just individual scan. So those can be safely postponed. In fact, they're frankly often postponed even for vacations or other reasons. Um, they're not so critical. I think when the patient's had breast cancer and they're being monitored for a new one every year, Understandably, they're more anxious, but again, it's part of a long-term program, and it's probably safer not to come in hospital uh, unless there's a lump or a problem or a concern. It's better to let them be postponed, and in fact, the hospitals are keeping careful track of those, and they're planning to reach out and rebook them with added times and bookings to make up the difference. So I think, again, it's case by case, and if ever there's a postponement and the scan people aren't sure, they contact the oncologist to make sure it's appropriate. Okay, Barbara, I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much for your call. Thank you, and stay well. You too. Stay Take well. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Sadev, about the uh, postponements, because a lot of cancer surgeries are being postponed. Uh, I heard that in some c- cases, people are getting their chemo first, which sometimes happens normally. Uh, but what kind of a backlog or a problem is happening because, you know, cancer treatment often it's surgery, uh, surgery, chemo, radiation, or some permutation of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the postponements were being done, especially in the early days of this, you know, new reality to protect our patients who might be a bit more prone to COVID because of their cancer to protect them also to protect the bed capacity of hospitals as we're expecting a massive wave of admissions. Thankfully, you know, we haven't had that massive wave yet in most of Canada that we had feared. Um, So they were being postponed for many good reasons. I think now that level of um, concern and the um, need to postpone will be probably reduced in the next few weeks ahead this month and they'll be you know, cutting back on those postponements. They've also very carefully strategized at every cancer center and even internationally what kind of patients are safe to postpone and what type are not. Uh, when you're a patient, even if it's considered to be a slow, minor cancer, it's very frightening, the idea of sitting on it and not doing anything. Um, so they are reviewed case by case. We have a very carefully um, you know, worked out strategies and coding every kind of cancer circumstance by a letter of grade and a number of severity, how critical the operation needs to be. And if ever the surgeon or oncology group thinks that it's important, they have meetings to approve those patients and they are getting sur- surgically operated on fairly promptly. So 
So I don't think patients are falling through the cracks with that, but it does pose a challenge for us to reassure and educate patients about the reason for the postponement and any mitigating approaches we could pursue. You mentioned getting you know, medical drugs before an operation. Uh, there are many cases in breast cancer particularly where for years, in fact, for the worst cases, we would give drugs before the operation to shrink it, you know, to make the operation more successful. And that could be chemotherapy, it could be anti-estrogens, uh, and those anti-estrogen pills, for example, are very safe, they're very effective, and the patient would have received them often for at least five years after the operation for preventative maintenance. So doing that before to hold the disease down, control it, is another common strategy we're doing. When we're doing things like that, we're also reevaluating the patient, usually monthly, just for, you know, for good measure, scans, ultrasounds, physical exams, to make sure nothing is falling through the cracks or escaping control. So there are very careful approaches to those decisions. Um, I think patients should feel very conf- confident that they'll be okay, uh, and if, if the need is urgent, they will get operated on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still, still stressful. I mean, as breast cancer pioneered some of the rapid diagnosis, rapid treatments, um, uh, you know, um, clinics. And those, I think, uh, addressed more anxiety than, than anything else, uh, you know, where you could get everything done in a few I, I days. I can imagine. I, I feel for the patients, you know, because they are trained early diagnosis. You know, the faster you do things, the better. So I really feel for them. But they've been very, very good about listening to us carefully when they understand the rationale. At the end of our discussions, they usually say, you know, thank you. I trust you, doctors, and uh, I know you would do for me what you would do for your own family. So that's been, it's been working very well. And uh, we've been, if anything, we've been erring on the side of, of operating, I think, speaking on behalf of our surgeons, when there's been any, you know, any concern that they're not safe to wait. Yeah, and it's interesting, our, our caller brought up, <clears throat> excuse me, the diagnostic tests, but I know that for people who have just, you know, who who had their cancer treatment very recently, you know, even coming up to those tests, I mean, it, it's a whole other level of anxiety for a lot of people before and waiting for the result and, oh, and all of sleep. that. Yeah, they don't sleep, you know, it's uh, and even though it's like a, I consider it a program, uh, year by year monitoring, it kind of hits their, you know, their consciousness when the scan is done. They see that as a finite kind of pit stop. And that they really worry, so I really feel for them. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess uh, there's one part of, of the actual disease and the other part of the actual anxiety. Yes, and I think that probably even historically is where we've had the most challenge in Canada providing for emotional support needs for patients, particularly when they have more advanced cancers. Uh, I'm part of the Canadian Breast Cancer Network now, and they have a fantastic website that really has a lot of discussions and blogs about COVID to educate patients about the impact of these delays in treatment. So I think, you know, patient groups have really stepped up to the front too to help our patients. That's good. That's good. Uh, so again, are you, are you worried about the backlog? I mean, you know, having everything so backed up? I think we are a little bit, but um, they, you know, I think they have already foreseen and made plans for that in terms of added operating room resources, um, and some, you know, commitment to getting the job done once we take our foot off the brake a bit with the OR delays. I think there was a study recently in Holland that noted a significant decrease in the number of cancer diagnoses recently, probably because their screening tests, their physical, you know, rectal examinations, mammograms aren't being done. 
but those patients I don't think will suffer because those diseases often take years to come and it'll be a delay maybe until the diagnosis actually happens, but I don't think it'll affect their long-term outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're basically out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with, Dr. Sido? I think the main thing is to have a good communication with your team. Um, they are looking out for you as a patient and your family. Uh, any questions, you know, be free to feel free to ask them. Any uncertainties or anxieties, uh, reach out to the patient groups and blogs. There's so many resources now to help uh, each other uh, get through this period. And I think we are starting to feel confident now that this real uh, abrupt uh, hit of delays and stresses will be easing up enough to allow us to do everything normally pretty soon. Okay. Dr. Sandy Sadev, thank you so much for this. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. And uh, people, if you could not get through, remember, Free For All Friday is coming up soon. And right now, that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.